Um, today we're going to be talking about um, being sent, living sent lives, um, as it relates to the people who are hardest to reach. And what we don't mean is geographically hardest to reach. What we're going to be talking about today is hardest to reach because of personal barriers, because of pet peeves, or this person frustrates me, or I don't know how to get along with this person, or uh, I don't want to engage in this, what this person does. And, and so in Luke chapter 15, we're going to look together at this, this whole chapter and what Jesus teaches us um, about what it means to live a sent life, even engaging those around us who um, we otherwise would rather not engage, or maybe even those people who our culture uh, would deem as unworthy to be engaged by the gospel. Um, and so, uh, I don't know if you recognize the theme that we've been singing so far this morning in the songs, but we've been singing a lot about Jesus' authority and his sovereignty and his victory over sin and death. And we talk about living sent lives, we're talking about living our lives in such a way that we take that good news, right, to those who don't know it, right, who, those who aren't experiencing the victory of Jesus over sin and death, who are experiencing right now defeat when it comes to sin and death. And so in Luke 15, um, we're going we're gonna to start with the first two verses because really in these first two verses, it, it not only sets the tone for what's following, um, but it allows us to understand the full context of what Jesus is saying. Because see, Luke 15 is where we find these three uh, really dynamic parables. We find the parable of the lost sheep, we find the parable of the lost coin, and then we find the parable of the prodigal son, or as I like to call it, the, pro the parable of the loving father. And so each of these parables has um, a very unique message to teach us, but whenever you look at it in context of the whole chapter, there's really something significant uh, that comes to us, and it begins in verses one and two, understanding the scene of what's happening here in Jesus's life and his ministry. So starting in verse one, Luke 15, verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So I'll just go ahead and let you know, this is about Jesus. That's the hymn here, okay? And so what was happening in Jesus' ministry is that the, the people in the culture who were considered unclean sinners were starting to gravitate towards him to hear his message. And so what we're reading here that the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near, this is really significant. And so just a little con context here for you to kind of understand what's happening. So in this culture, um, the tax collectors were those who assessed and collected taxes. Now, even in our day and time, those folks get somewhat of a, a bad rep. But we're talking about a day and time where um, there were no checks and balances. So tax collectors were making assessments of what you owed and oftentimes cushioning that, adding a little bit on top for themselves. And so they were known as a crooked bunch of people. But to make matters worse, the tax collectors, especially in this context, were Hebrews who were collecting taxes from their their, their nation, their family from other Hebrews, and then taking that money, taking a cut for themselves, and then sending the rest to the Roman government. So there was a, a sense of betrayal um, among the tax collectors. So tax collectors were a rough 
group, and they didn't have a lot of friends um, among their fellow Hebrews. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners, so that word sinners here, again, in this context, is representing those in the culture who were deemed not just rebellious or wayward, but literally unclean. Like, if you spent time with these people, you would be unclean. And so we see throughout the Gospels, this includes, you know, prostitutes, those who have been married multiple times. And we could just go down the list of people who were considered unclean. Okay, now these people were gravitating towards Jesus to hear what he had to say. And the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble and become critical of Jesus. So who were these cats, these Pharisees and these scribes? So the Pharisees were the teachers of the law. And by teachers, we mean experts. They knew the Old Testament, front, back, upside down, every bit of it memorized. They knew the law of God. But not only that, they were expected to adhere to the law in a very strict fashion. So these, these guys were experts, not just of knowing what God's law was, but of supposedly doing it. The scribes were, were associated with the Pharisees in that their job was to, to write down the law of God and to make copies. And as you can imagine, um, this wasn't a, a day and time where you had Xerox copiers making copies. And so every letter mattered. And these guys, again, weren't just writing down um, a, a, a manual on how to saddle a camel. They were writing down and copying the sacred law of God. And so they were held to a really strict and high moral code as well. And so you've got these guys, these Pharisees and these scribes, and they're noticing that Jesus is beginning to attract unclean people, prostitutes, people that are living with people they're not married to, um, people who rip people off, who steal stuff, swindlers, tax collectors. And so they begin to become critical of Jesus and grumble against him, saying, this man, this Jesus guy, he receives sinners and eats with them. Now, the word here, receives, is, is so helpful because it means to show hospitality towards. So it wasn't like Jesus was just walking down the street, bumping into people who were unclean. He was actually inviting them in and showing them hospitality. And so they were criticizing him for this. And we know from the other gospel accounts, this is not the only time Jesus is criticized or um, accused of this. The gospel of Matthew, what's interesting is Matthew, as he writes his gospel, um, he writes about how Jesus came to him as a tax collector. This is Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees again saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those 
who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And so Jesus himself is saying, listen, God is a physician. He's not an entertainer. He's not a babysitter. God's a physician. And God has sent me to earth to heal the sick, to mend the brokenhearted, to save those who are lost, to pull into the light those who are living in darkness. Just a few chapters later, what's interesting in Matthew 11, listen to now how the criticism has become an accusation. Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, the son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom justified is justified by her deeds. And now these criticisms have become accusations against Jesus saying, you're a glutton and a drunkard too. Because you associate with these people, right? How can you eat with these dirty people? You must be one of them. You must be a glutton and a drunkard yourself. So now all of this is the backdrop of Luke 15. So that when we get into these parables, we understand these parables, the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the prodigal son, these are Jesus' response to this criticism and these accusations. You with me? And so we're going to listen now as Jesus begins to respond to the Pharisees and scribes, starting in Luke 15, verse 3, the first parable. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And then he wraps up the parable with the statement, Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, the thing about the Pharisees and the scribes, it wasn't that they didn't know part of the gospel. The problem is they didn't know all the gospel. Because see, the first part of the gospel says this to you and me. The only way to be made right with God, to have a right relationship with him, is to be perfectly righteous. Okay, they had that part down. Like that's the gospel to you and to me. The only way to get into heaven, the only way to enjoy the presence of God is to be perfectly righteous. The part that they missed off on is what happens next, what the gospel declares next is this. No one is perfectly righteous, not one. Nobody on their own merit or own strength can become righteous. So where's the good news? Here's the good news. Jesus came to earth to fulfill the demands of the law, to do what you and I couldn't do. We couldn't obey the law perfectly, so he did it for us. And now those who trust in Christ are made righteous because of their faith. And it's not like Jesus says, well, hey, come to me. Let me evaluate how righteous you are. All right, you're going to need a little bit extra help to get into heaven. So let me give you a portion of my righteousness, just enough to get in. 
No, that's not the gospel. The gospel says, come to me, take whatever you think is righteous in your life, lay it down, take it off, get rid of it, because it won't get you into heaven. Here, take, take my righteousness, all of it. It's more than enough to get you in. And so the Pharisees and the scribes, they had the first part, you gotta be righteous to get into heaven. But they missed the whole rest of the gospel. The next parable. So this first parable is simply, we break it down like this. A man loses a sheep, he leaves 99 to go after the one, right? Uh, he rejoices when he finds it, invites his neighbors and friends to rejoice with him. And this is a reflection of the rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents, okay? That's what the parable's about. So then Jesus rolls right into another parable. Verse eight, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And then again, he wraps up this parable with this statement, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So some very similar, but in this parable, the lady loses one of her 10 coins. And so rather than leaving the 99 and going after, she turns the whole house upside down until she finds the one coin. When she finds it, she rejoices, invites her friends and neighbors to come rejoice with her. All of this serving what? As a reflection of the rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. Now, the next parable, parable of the prodigal son or parable of the loving father, Jesus takes these principles now and makes it incredibly personal for the, the Pharisees and the scribes. And so we'll pick this up now in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to, fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now in the front half of the parable, we get a little bit more um, information on the previous two parables, don't we? Now we know we're not talking about a coin, we're not talking about a sheep, we're talking about a person, right? And we also know why the coin was lost, 
why the sheep was lost. We see it illustrated in the son who came to his dad and said, Dad, I want all my inheritance. And then what did he do? He went away to a far country, squandered his property on reckless living. So the coin and the lost sheep represent a person, right, who has walked away from the father, squandered his life on what? Reckless or sinful living. But we also begin to see a beautiful portrait of what repentance is. Because in the previous two parables, all Jesus says is, heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. And now we get this beautiful example of what it looks like when the human heart begins to repent. Did you catch it there in in the son's kind of self-declaration there in verse 18? He says, I will rise to my father and I will say to him, I will rise and go to my father, I will say to him, listen to this, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That is the front half of repentance. This is where repentance begins. This is what I, when I was 15 years old, came to God for the first time. God, I've sinned against you and against heaven. With the first 15 years of my life, I've given it to reckless living, to rebelling against you and living for myself. I am unworthy to be called a Christian. I am unworthy to be called one of your children. I'm unworthy to be called a member of your church. Now, praise God, there's a second half to repentance, but that's where repentance begins. And we see it illustrated here in the son's heart, right? In this rebellious son's heart. Father, I have sinned against you. Now, verse 20 is the second half of this parable. And this is where the son goes back home. Verse 20. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, just like he had rehearsed, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring a fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they begin to do what? Celebrate. We begin to see this. Really the meaning of the first two parables comes to light here, doesn't it? We're not talking about money. We're not talking about livestock. We're talking about people who were at one time lost and who have now been found. And I love how... How beautiful this is because the father doesn't say to the son, let's have a talk first. He doesn't even address his son, does he? He doesn't even say, hang on, let's find out if you mean it this time or I'll let you back in this time, but if you do it again, you're on your own. He's gonna talk to the son. What does he do? He says, he hears the son's plea for mercy and what does he do? Servants, get in here. Bring my son his robe. Bring him his ring. Give him some shoes. Go kill the best calf we have. We're getting ready to throw a party. We're getting ready to celebrate. Again, reflecting what? 
the celebration in heaven when what happens? One sinner repents. In the first two parables, the parable of the, the lost sheep, he leaves the 99, he goes out searching until what? He finds it. The lost coin, she overturns the entire house, lights a lamp, sweeps the floor, keeps searching diligently until what? She finds it. Here in this parable, we see the father is waiting patiently with a watchful eye. The son didn't have to knock on the door, did he? The father sees him from a distance. Why? Because he was waiting with a watchful eye, patiently, longing for what was lost to be found. And when he sees his son, what does he do? He runs to him, embraces him, he kisses him. He receives him. He rejoices over the son who returns. He throws a party. Now, we're also going to see how Jesus now is gonna weave the Pharisees and scribes into the parable. We see this with the older brother. Look at verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. I think Jesus intentionally wanted us to see this as the older responsible brother. Where was he at? He was working. He was out doing what he was supposed to be doing. While younger brother was squandering away daddy's wealth, older brother was faithful, obedient, out working. What's interesting is now he's drawing near to the house. As he gets closer, he's hearing what? He's hearing, is that music? Do I hear laughter and dancing? Somebody throwing a party? Look at what he says. He called, verse 26, one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, well, I'll tell you what it means. Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. You see that word received come up again? What was Jesus accused of doing? Receiving sinners. Your father has received your younger brother. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to do what? To go in, to be a part of the party, to be a part of the rejoicing. So his father came out and entreated him and pleaded with him and he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. You see the hard attitude of the Pharisees there? This is what Jesus is saying. Listen, guys, this is you. You're the older brother. You're coming to me angry because you think you've been doing the right thing while he's been out doing the wrong thing. While all these people are doing the wrong thing, you've completely missed it. And then look at what I love the father's response. It's so subtle, but look at what he says. Verse 30, but the son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes and you killed the fattened calf for him? And he, the father, said to him, the older, older brother, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. So which one of these boys had the inheritance of the father? Both of them. He's saying to the older son, listen, you are just as undeserving as the younger brother. Yes, he received his inheritance, but that was mine. 
I gave that to him. In the same way, I give you a roof over your head and food to eat and all that I have is yours. You both are recipients of my grace. You see how the Pharisees missed it. They thought because of their high moral profiles, they didn't need the grace of God. And they were looking down their noses at the tax collectors and sinners and what Jesus is saying, listen, bro, you need just as much grace as they do. You need just as much grace. Verse 32, the father concludes it was fitting to do what? To celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And we see again, some similarities in the parables. What was lost has been found. The father's rejoicing. He's throwing a party. He's inviting family and neighbors to come be a part of the rejoicing as a reflection of what? The rejoicing that takes place in heaven when one sinner repents. Now listen, um, let's, let's talk very candidly for just a moment. What we're seeing here is, is this call to live a sent life and to be hospitable towards sinners. Towards, of course, those in our culture who are considered unclean, unworthy, unapproachable. We're also talking about people like us. And as Christians, when we're called, let's, let's be cautious here, to engage with the lost and fallen world, we need to nuance that out. Because here's what we're not saying, is that as Christians now, just go live a reckless life hoping God will work through you, right? Jesus was not receiving sinners and engaging in their lifestyle. He was maintaining, right? His identity as the son of God. He was accused of things, right? But he wasn't engaging in their lifestyle by receiving them in. And so I think we have to have some caution here, right? So this is not... Um, the, the meth addict getting radically saved by Jesus and then going right back into the drug house to live the mission the next day, right? So we need to work this out with spiritual leadership in our lives, pressing into biblical community. What does this need to look like? Hold me accountable, go with me, be a part of this. This is not a call to just reckless living, but it is clearly a call to show hospitality towards sinners, why? Because if one sinner repents, it's worth it. That's the point. He's saying that to the Pharisees. Listen, Pharisees, I get it. But if one of these people gets what I'm offering, if one of these people receives my grace and turns from sin and, and accepts what I'm offering, it's worth it. Why? Because heaven rejoices. Jesus wasn't spending time with sinners because he enjoyed a sinful lifestyle. Jesus spent time with sinners because he believed the rejoicing of heaven over one sinner repenting was worth investing his time. He spent time with sinners because he loved them, because he believed they were worth it. While the parables were a response to the Pharisees and scribes, we can see clearly Jesus' heart for the lost because it's worth it. If one sinner repents, one sheep, one coin, one son, finding what has been lost is worth investing our time and showing hospitality to sinners. At Solid Rock, we believe that the gospel opens the eyes of those who are spiritually blind. 
We also believe that the gospel contains more than enough grace to save anybody in this city. Jason read, um, Jason Martin read from Romans 5 earlier in our service, talking about how sin entered the world through one man. One man's disobedience exposed all of creation to sin. And so we've all fallen, fallen suit with what Adam did. So we're all sinners. You good with that? Okay. So we're, so we're, all, we're all the prodigal son here. We just want to go be honest. Um, but something beautiful on the other side is what he read was that through one man's obedience, the many are made righteous. That's us. The bridge between the two is the one verse that says, where sin abounds, grace does what? Abounds all the more. That's how that works. And so at Solid Rock, we believe God has enough grace to save the most rebellious heart in this city. Right? Those who may be culturally considered unclean. Let me, let me just ask some questions for you to think about. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus wants to save the sinners in our city? I hope so, because you're sitting here. Do you believe that Jesus wants to save those in our city who are living in prostitution? Do you believe that Jesus wants to save those who are living in drug houses or crime-saturated neighborhoods? Do you believe he has enough grace to save them? The very first um, sermon in this series, we were looking at Romans chapter 10, and the, the Apostle Paul asked some really helpful rhetorical questions. I want to read them to you. This is Romans 10, starting in verse 14. Well, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? So we believe that. It's easy to say, oh yeah, God wants to save the, you know, the prostitutes and the drug you know, dealers and those who are involved in crime. And, and so I, I just feel like the response to, to us from the word of God is, okay then, how are they gonna hear unless somebody goes? Right, you, They're not gonna hear it unless somebody comes in contact with them, receives them, finds a way to welcome them in. It's just not gonna happen by driving down the street and rolling down your window and throwing Bibles at them, right? Because Romans 10, you get this beautiful picture of those who are willing to walk into dark places with the hope of Christ. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Those are people who, like Jesus, are willing to walk into the dark places to take the hope of God's grace. Now, let's just, make, let's just bring this closer to home. We've, we've asked these same questions I'm about to ask in every sermon in this series. Do you believe that Jesus wants to save your coworkers? And do you believe that Jesus wants to save your family members? Maybe your children, your grandchildren, your parents, your brothers and sisters? How about your neighbors? Does Jesus want to save your neighbors? How then are they going to hear unless somebody is sent? You follow me? You and I are the ones who are sent. Um, I want to do something uh, just maybe just a little bit different today. I'm going to invite somebody to come up on stage and um, just share a little bit of, of his heart and some of his experiences. Um, 
Jeff, will you mind coming on up? Um, grab the microphone on your way up. This is Jeff Rathbun. Um, Jeff and his wife Holly have been serving in the Philippines for the last two years as our uh, family on mission, and Jeff is our international mission pastor here. Um, been back in the States for almost four weeks now, um, and uh, you've heard already a little bit about some of the things that they've been doing in the Philippines, and so I want to give him a chance to share a little bit of um, their experience in the Philippines, but also um, talk specifically how it relates to Luke 15 today. And so, um, Jeff, thank you. Um, thank probably you. not everybody in here knows you and knows what you've been doing. So um, just real quick, last two years, what have you guys been doing? Well, um, we have been trying to do a lot of what we've been talking about this morning, trying to put ourselves in people's lives, trying to put ourselves in people's houses and be welcomed into people's houses so that we can try and minister to them so that we can try and show them the, the love of Christ. Okay. And so specifically, you've been doing this in the Philippines, right? And I know that we spent a lot of time before you guys left reading books, studying culture, studying language, trying to get you ready to go. Um, tell us a little bit about what you actually encountered, maybe that was different from what you had expected or what you had prepared for. Like, what was it like? Well, going along with this, we, we were trying to get to the point where we were building relationships with people. And while we were doing that, it was really challenging to actually get to the point where we, we really felt like we knew people. And there was just that cultural barrier that kept, us, that kept us from being able to do that really well, where we were able to kind of share our heart and hear people's hearts for just various things they were going through. Well, what I love about um, you know, what you've shared with me so far, being home and kind of even what we've experienced, not everybody knows, last Sunday you had the opportunity to baptize your oldest kiddo, Sophia. And so um, what I love about what I've heard from how God used you and, and Holly is how, how he caught you off guard and did some ex- unexpected things. Um, and so l- let me just ask you this, like share with us how you got to experience what we're talking about here, how going to the Philippines, taking your family, first of all, like selling all your stuff, packing everything up in suitcases and moving, right? We're not just going on vacation. We're moving to the Philippines with your kiddos. Um, how God used that, um, going there, being sent there to lead one sinner to Christ. So as we, like you said, kind of upended our lives to go to the Philippines with the point in the goal of being a witness and trying to call people like, hey, this is the gospel. This is, this is good news. This is, what, this is what we need. As we were doing that, as we were being intentional about how we were kind of organizing our lives there and going about our day, um, trying to drop little gospel nuggets wherever we were going, um, we were showing our kids the the beauty of the gospel and the worthiness of the gospel of being able to just upend our lives uh, for, for something that, that is worth it. Mm-hmm. And through that, Sophia started to question, you know, well, why are we doing this? Why are we here? Um, why, are we, why are we doing these things? And so we were able to show her, you know, this is why. This is the gospel is, is good for us. It's good for sinners. It's good for people who don't deserve it. And she was able to see that and experience the intentionality of, of God sending people to sinners uh, like us so that she began to just be drawn to the beauty of the gospel through that. And 
she she finally wanted it, and it was it was really awesome. That's awesome, man. No, nowhere in uh, in training manuals or books we read did they say, yeah, go to a foreign country to be a missionary so that your kids will be saved, right? And it's just a beautiful portrait. I'm just picturing the the woman overturning her own household um, to do what? To find the one lost coin. And 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 God did a lot of things through Jeff and Holly in the Philippines, but we don't want to overlook this beautiful work that God did in their own home um, through living out the gospel in, in real time. It, you know, I was just sharing this with the previous group that um, it reminds me of a mission trip that we went on um, even a couple years before you and, and Holly were there um, where a couple of our members went out to a remote village to go hiking. And it was one of those situations where they asked how far are we going and the chief just looked up in the air with his nose and said, we're going over there. Uh, and then like 14 hours later and like eight or nine miles tre- trekking through the jungle and through the river and up the mountain and just bleeding and eating frogs and just, you know, all this stuff. Our, the two Americans were starting to grumble a little bit. And uh, one of them happened to have kiddos back here in the States, a, a little girl who was about two or three at the time. And he, he said that I was just really frustrated with why are we doing all this? And then as they began to walk into the village, this among the people coming out to greet them was this little girl about two or three years old who just came out and, and welcomed them in and received them. And he was saying like, when I saw her face, I was like, okay, now this is worth it. And, uh, and, and I know that God did so many things through you guys, but what I hear you saying is, is it was worth it, right, uh, to go. And, and Sophia um, became a Christ follower, a, a sinner who repented through you guys going. So thanks for sharing, man. Thank um, you. Jeff's back in the States for a while, so you wanna hear more? Um, invite him and Holly over. Um, they love Chick-fil-A. Um, so they're, they're, not, they're not the cheapest date in town, but they're not the most expensive date in town. But no, invite them over to your house and, and hear more about how God used them um, in the Philippines. So hey, thanks for your time. Appreciate you coming up. Yeah. Um, listen, this is, this is the supernatural work that God is doing in and through this church right now. Um, Jeff got to baptize Sophia uh, last Sunday. We've got a baptism in the next service today. We've got another baptism in the 10 o'clock service next Sunday. And those baptisms, again, are just, a, just, a, just kind of a, a beautiful symbolic portrait of this inward work God is doing to transform our lives, to take sinners like us, to save us by grace and to transform us into the image of his son. And so, um, man, just honored to be a part of what God is doing. I wanna end here by a couple things. First of all, I don't know how... God has wrestled with you today, um, but I am almost certain there's at least one person in your life that you are being sent to, maybe more than one, but at least one. If you're here today and, and you're, a, you're a Christian and you don't know who that person is, could I encourage you to begin praying? God, show me, because right now I don't see who they are, but for the vast majority of us, there's at least one family member, coworker, neighbor, right? And Jesus is saying to you and to me, hey, it's worth it. Go. Go, receive them. Show them hospitality. Share with them the hope and the grace of the gospel. And so I want to encourage you to pray um, this morning about that, um, um, to really kind of wrestle with that this morning. And, and, And here's what I'm not asking you to do. Don't make a commitment to go out this week and live the mission this week. Like, let's make this our lifestyle. Right? Let's just not make it about one person and one project. Let's make this a lifestyle of living a sent life. 
Um, I want to also say this. If you're here today and you have not come to the place in your life where you've been found, where you have turned to Christ on your own, not your mom's faith, not your grandma's faith, your faith. If you have not come to that place where you have trusted in Christ and him alone, listen, today is your day. I'm going to pray that God will save you today, okay? And if that's happening in your heart right now and you know it, listen, I'm gonna encourage you, when we stand and sing, will you step out and grab one of our prayer partners or one of our pastors and say, listen, this is what God's doing in my life. Will you pray with me or pray for me? Um, listen, we, we, wanna, we wanna meet you where you're at. Listen, today's your day. Let's do it today. Uh, prayer partners will be down at the front and the back. Uh, worship team will be up leading us. Let's pray, let's respond. Uh, Father, we thank you for this very convicting yet um, clear and beautiful um, message from the scriptures today. Um, God, reminding us that first of all, we are sinners saved by grace. And second of all, that God, it is worth it to give our lives, to spend our lives investing in God, those who don't know you. And Jesus, thank you for reminding not just the scribes and Pharisees, but us here at Solid Rock that one sinner repenting is worth it. And for, for reminding us that when that happens, there's this massive celebration in eternity, God. Help us to celebrate what you celebrate. Help us to seek after what you seek after. Father, now we give you this time. We ask for your Holy Spirit to move and to convict. We pray all these things.